Welcome into episode 50 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. We knew when we got to this one, we were going to pretty much dedicate it all to one team. We're going to talk Arizona Coyotes for the next, well, I don't even know how long, the foreseeable future. Six years. As long as Sarah will stay on the line. Pretty much. So that's the voice of Craig Morgan. Jamie Eisner is here as well. I'm Luke Lipinski. And on the line, we have Sarah McClellan of AZ Central. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Are you excited for the, uh, the World Cup of Hockey in the upcoming NHL season? Yeah, I'm excited that we're kind of, kind of getting back into the swing of things, and this tournament, I think, will be a fun primer, obviously. Um, I'm excited to see how it rolls out. I remember the 2004 World Cup and watching it, and it was a fun tournament to watch. I remember Shane Jones scoring the clinching goal for Canada, so I'm excited to watch it and um, see how the Coyotes play, players fare, and then, you know, obviously get the ball rolling with training camp. So I'm excited. It should be a fun month. Sarah, we apologize for not getting you on last week as well when we talked about the Edmonton Oilers. We thought you might have some things to say about them, but... <laughs> or maybe your dad has something to say about them. I'd be curious to get his thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll save them for later. <laughs> okay. Well, well, let's get down to business here. Uh, a lot of activity in the offseason, first of all, and we can, we can talk amongst ourselves with this one. Um, more of a discussion, I would guess, on this podcast than we've had on most since we're all pretty versed with this team. But John Chaika, first of all, the the young general manager of the Arizona Coyotes, your impressions as we approach training camp of what he's done thus far this summer? Well, I I certainly think that he's put his stamp on things and definitely, um, you know, tried to mold this team, how maybe he and the rest of this kind of new front office, um, you know, want to take things. So I don't think he's been shy. I think, you know, he's kind of been in tune with, the sort of rebranding effort of the Coyotes and um, how he thinks they need to be structured to, you know, give Dave Chippett the pieces he needs to try to craft the winner. So um, I think he's been creative. I think he's been aggressive. Um, you know, I can't remember maybe a dull week this offseason for the Coyotes. It just seemed like there was always <laughs> something going on or something in the works. And Which helped um, our vacations, by the way. Important. Yeah, that's probably important and in tune and in line with a team that's rebuilding. If you are going to be idle, and just kind of hope that, you know, these subtle moves or changes are necessary to move a team, um, you know, over the playoff cut line, it, it probably isn't going to work. So I, I think that's probably an appropriate approach to take at this time is to make change, be active, be proactive. Um, but now it's the time to see if, it, if it'll work, if it was the correct move and if they did enough. Um, I'm excited to see that, but, I, I mean, you can't fault the effort. They were definitely busy this summer, and I think Chaika was probably at the helm of that, really wanting to see it, you know, be aggressive to make changes that he felt his team needed and maybe fill some gaps that he felt, uh, you know, in his time with the organization had maybe popped up in the last year. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about this. If you got the same sense that I did from him this summer, it almost feels like John wanted to do more, specifically addressing that right-handed defenseman. I know that was one, one of their top priorities, and, you know, it, it takes two to tango in a trade, obviously, but it, it almost feels a little bit like he was frustrated he wasn't able to strike yet another deal. Yeah, I, I think that's probably fair, and I think, um, you know, whenever we talked to him, it always seemed like he was still perusing. He was still looking what else was out there. He still had his finger on the pulse of, you know, the trade market, free agency, and 
um, maybe that's something that doesn't go away. I mean, I know they still have some room in their budget, their internal parameters to do some maneuvering. So we'll see. Maybe this is something that, you know, carries over into the season, and maybe this is a product that will be in constant evaluation and, you know, maybe have the potential to make in-season changes, um, you know, and maybe that's what it takes. I I'm not sure, but uh, I agree. I think that he, you know, wanted to come in and make changes and be engaged and, uh, you know, maybe it's just simply being aware of all that's out there and knowing all the opportunities and options available and then evaluating what was best. And so nothing wrong with that approach. I mean, you know, there's 30 GMs, there's conversations all the time. Um, I think sometimes we see trades transpire and wonder, well, you know, did this team know that that was available? And so I think John's making sure that he knows what's going on and then it's, you know, up to evaluating and seeing if it's the right move and then if you can make a deal. There's a lot of uh, potential new players on this roster. We'll get to them in a second, but Radim Verbata back for his uh, his third try with the Arizona Coyotes. What do you think they realistically are expecting from him? Because two years ago, he's a 31-goal scorer with Vancouver, and then last year they were playing him all over the place. So it's 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 going to be an interesting uh, transition for him back to the place he's called home now three times. Yeah, I think maybe the expectations could be in line with maybe what they thought they'd get out of Shane Doan last year coming in. Um, an experienced veteran, probably not, you know, a top-line player like he used to be, but someone who could come in as a mentor, but definitely provide, um, you know, that depth scoring, that, you know, I don't know if it's secondary scoring, but um, just has that ability to put the puck in the net. And maybe best-case scenario then is, you know, for Verdeen to have the season that Shane had last year and just supersede all expectations. Yes, he was, you know, a valuable leader and voice in the locker room, you know, among young players, but maybe he scored 20 or 25, and I think that would probably, um, you know, not maybe not exceed expectations because we know that's what he can do, but um, I think that would be a great grab for them. Um, you know, so I think he's obviously set the standard previously that he can be a 20-goal scorer. He thrives under Dave Tippett's tutelage and seems to – um, just enjoy playing here. Maybe that combination helps them, you know, reach 20 goals again. But, you know, something even at least 15. I, I think that for someone of his age who has bounced around a little bit recently, did seem maybe to find uh, a great fit in his last year in Vancouver. I think that's a great addition. And, um, you know, I think he has that potential, whether it's reconnecting with Martin Hansel or maybe going with someone younger and being kind of that veteran anchor alongside someone who's being ushered into the league. I could see him being a versatile piece that could complement, you know, a number of Coyotes players next season. Now you mentioned Shane Doan earlier. What is his role this season? He scored a bunch last year, but I think they'd be asking a lot for him to match those totals again this year. Where do, is it a third line role? Where where do they expect him to play this year and thrive? Uh, yeah, I think it's same too. I, I don't think his job description changes. And like I said, I think he obviously. Um, overachieved maybe what they thought he could do last season and, and I don't think now maybe what he put up is the expectation but I think it goes back to what he was before. He's a mentor, he's a depth scorer, he probably is a third line right winger on this team um, but that doesn't put any limitations on what he can do offensively. If he can score 28 more goals I think they'll obviously happily accept that and so will Shane. I think he's going to want to duplicate what he did just because of the competitor that he is but I think his role is the same. I think it flattered him being lower in the lineup. I think it complimented him working alongside the likes of a Jordan Martin and a Brad Richardson. I think on many nights that was probably the team's most consistent 
um, and reliable lines. So uh, I think his expectations remain the same. Whether or not he, you know, exceeds them remains to be seen. But I don't think he has to exceed them and score 28 goals again for for him to make a difference. I think if he just shows up, um, you know, eats up that 15 maybe minutes or so on that right side. Um, can play, you know, in all situations and be that valuable locker room presence. Um, and we know he's going to score. He's always around the net. We know the puck's going to go in at some point this season for him. I think that's, uh, you know, a job well accomplished for Shane Doan. All right, Sarah, the question, I think the question I've been asked the most, and you've probably dealt with this the same, is which prospects are making the roster this season? How many spots, first of all, do you think are even open for, for some of these guys to move up and then Give us your thoughts on some of the guys, obviously names that have been mentioned a whole lot, but I want to get your thoughts on who you think has the best crack at it. I mean, I see obviously the two holes up the middle, and you know, obviously part of that was instigated by buying out Antoine Vermette, so there seems to be a clear directive to at least give these young players a chance. So, um, you know, to me, the obvious candidates then are Dylan Strome and Christine Dvorak. Um, you know, are are they ready? I think they've proven that there's probably not much else for them to accomplish in junior. They seem to have, you know, the IQs um, and the size to be able to compete. But obviously, it's a, it's a big difference from the Ontario Hockey League to the NHL. Um, we saw how well Max Domi transitioned last year. Mind you, he's a little bit older than, you know, Dylan is right now, so we'll see. But I think those are the front runners. Obviously, just also because of need, there are two spots open up the middle. I think right now, clearly, um, visibly, unless someone switches over or someone else is added or someone comes in on a PTO, which, you know, seems somewhat unlikely at this point. Um, but I, I think there's also, you know, maybe someone like a Brendan Perlini, who maybe someone who just has a wow camp and comes in and steals the spot. I think he's someone who will be in contention. I know he had a little bit of a down year last year, but I think he's motivated. I think he has just a natural tool set that um, is going to be appealing, is going to merit consideration. I know he's been here in the Valley this summer training. I think that points to commitment and his desire to prove that he um, isn't what his season was last year, that he is the player that say, he drafted with that kind of – um, I think high caliber expectation that he can come in and be a top six forward in the NHL. And I also, I'm intrigued by Lawson Krauss. I think when you go in and make a trade like that and acquire someone who was a high, high draft pick, um, I think, you know, maybe he's someone who surprises well. They obviously covet his skill set and maybe he's someone who edges someone else who we maybe currently have locked in. But um, I think he has a chance. He, he seems to have that physical maturity and um, I'm interested to see if he's someone who maybe is a dark horse now but comes in and just impresses and steals the spot. Uh, going back to Strom for a second, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense for the reasons you just laid out that he would make this team. Uh, but on the other hand, the Coyotes don't really make a habit out of playing teenagers in their lineup. So if, if he gets in there, what are realistic expectations for people to have for him as a 19-year-old? I think the expectation should be that he is learning on the job. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I know you know many people will say this isn't you know a development league, but I don't think it's necessarily bad for his development because everyone's still developing, everyone's still growing. Max Domi wants to get better. Anthony Dufresne wants to get better. I don't think that's a negative, but I think it should be somewhat of um, you know, not a learning curve, I guess. I mean, he needs to adapt to the style. He needs to adapt to Dave Pippen's way of things. 
Um, I think he needs to hone in and focus on the responsibility of being a 200-foot player at that critical centerized position. So I, I think that's an expectation. We expect you to evolve. We expect you um, to become a well-rounded player who you know, is a threat in the offensive zone but also can back check and take care of you know, the other end of the ice. Um, I'm not sure then if I put you know, numerical expectations on him. You know, last season I thought 10 goals, 10 assists, 20 points was a fair um, kind of measuring stick for the likes of Domi and Duclair. Obviously, they surpassed that, so maybe maybe my internal, you know, statistic numbers are, is, is an easy target. But um, you know, maybe that's a fair assessment for him. But again, I'm not sure if I would put numbers on because I think the experience in itself to see someone a third overall pick who you expect one day to headline your first line. I think the experience in itself is going to be worthwhile and learning and learning from, you know, who's around them and the competition and getting that face time with the Coyotes coaching staff. Um, you know, everyone from Dave Tippett to John Gray, the skating coach. I think those are advantages that he won't have when he goes back to junior. That's where he ends up going. So I think the expectation is just improve your game. Improve, evolve, adapt. And if that leads to 10, 15 goals, great. If it leads to seven and you're responsible, then I think that's great too. I mean, what happens if he doesn't make the roster? Can Dvorak or someone else handle that top six role? A top six role? I'm not sure about Dvorak. I personally think he's better suited to lower in the lineup. I don't think that puts restrictions on his offensive ability, but I think you maybe get more bang for your buck. Um, and just in terms of how your depth chart is organized, if he is a little bit lower. Um, you know, maybe maybe it's Brad Richardson. Maybe he's someone that you know, kind of steps in and, you know, can handle more offensive role. I think he was very well suited to that third-line role last season when he was with Jordan Martin and Shane Doan, and maybe that's something that he takes right back up. But, um, you know, I think he's an option. Maybe they for something else, but I think it's clear when they bought it at Met that they wanted to give these young guys that opportunity. Um, but maybe it is just more of a supporting role under Martin Hansel. Maybe maybe it is a Richardson before. I think we can't forget Ryan White also has the potential to play center. And I think he could be an attractive option because he's that right-handed face-off guy for them, too. I think everyone else is pretty much a lefty. So we'll see how it shakes out. But I don't see anyone currently, maybe besides Strom, you know, to, to fill in that top six role underneath Martin Hansel. But Again, we'll see. I, I think there's lots of tinkering. We know Dave Tippett likes to experiment, so um, we might have to wait and see on that one. All right, you mentioned uh, expectations uh, from a statistical standpoint for these guys and, and what you had expected from Domi and Duclair last year. Is it fair to assume that there will be even more production out of those two players in year two of their careers? Well, I'm not sure because obviously we all know how tough that sophomore season is, and I think you know everyone – um, is more aware of you and your skill set and, you know, what to expect. Um, I think the goal, again, is just to keep growing and keep improving. And, you know, I don't think that they have to score more than 20 goals and 50-some-odd points to necessarily do that. Um, but I don't think you can go backwards. I think it would be a disappointment if, um, you know, they fall completely short of what they accomplished last season and just look out of place. I, I think what... Um, you know, what maybe eased or impressed um, in their transition last season was they were noticeable. Um, they made a difference. And I, I think that's kind of, you know, standard that's been set. Um, you know, you're a factor in this lineup. You're not just someone who's, you know, 
playing, uh, carrying a spot and just eating up minutes for no reason. I, I think they, they're difference makers, and I think they have to continue to do that. So whether that is, you know, putting up the production, that's a big part of that, but I don't necessarily know if they have to supersede that this year. I think they have to have the same impact and show that they aren't reverting backward, that they're continuing to evolve their game. And, you know, for Max Domi, that's maybe more opportunity on the penalty kill for you know, um, declare maybe that's more opportunity on the power play. I think there's other tangents in there besides goal scoring that can point to their development, and I think that will be critical. Um, but the production is big, but I, I'm not sure if they have to supersede those numbers to be a success. I think they just have to show that that potential is still there and they have the ability to make a difference on a nightly basis. All right, as long as we're talking about Anthony, and you just mentioned Ryan White, how how are you feeling about the right side of this forward lineup right now? even with the signing of Redeem Verbata? You know what? I look at this right now, and, and I kind of see a lot of bases covered. I think they have the youth, the speed, you know, that just natural goal-scoring ability with Duclair. I think Verbata might be maybe just kind of an older version of that. I think he obviously has the ability to put the puck in the net. He provides that experience element that a Duclair lacks. Um, and he seems to obviously have some natural built-in chemistry with some pieces of the lineup, you know, with Hansel. So um, I think that's, you know, a decent top six. I think Shane Doan is another interesting, you know, interesting player on that right side because he checks a lot of boxes too. He can play um, all sides of special teams. He's obviously, you know, the heart of your team, your captain, your leader, but he also is a goal scorer. And he's also going to add those intangibles, that physical element, that intimidation factor, um, just the will to win. You know, I think that's important, too. And then I think White is also probably going to have a valuable role. Losing Boyd Gordon, he's someone who can take face-offs on the right side. He can play penalty kill. He can be that energy spark plug agitator. I see a lot of bases covered on that right side. Um, would you like a proven 30-goal score? Sure, every team would like that. But... Um, the way Dave Kippett tends to organize his lineups is very role niche orientated, and I see a lot of boxes covered on that right side right now. Sarah, for everything we're talking about, I mean, it's ultimately going to come back to goaltending with this team. Uh, Mike Smith is healthy, so obviously he's going to be the number one this year, but how long is his leash given what Louis Domingue was able to show everybody last year? Well, I think, you know, just with the way the season is set up, um, obviously the schedule compacted with the World Cup kind of kicking things off here before the season. I think a mix is probably, you know, going to evolve naturally anyways. You know, I think Mike Smith is probably at a point in his career where they probably don't want him playing 70-plus games. I, I think um, – I don't think it's a 1A, 1B situation necessarily, but I, I think a healthy mix – is something that's probably going to be advantageous for teams anyway just because of the schedule and the way it lines up with the World Cup and just how competitive it is on a nightly basis, especially in the West. So, um, you know, I think, first of all, Louis has to show that he is the same goalie um, that he was last year, that he did show when he shined in those instances of, you know, kind of taking over the starter role. I know he got worn out a little bit, and um, there was probably a few games that he'd like to have back, but I think he has to prove himself too, and reestablish that last season wasn't a fluke. Um, I'm not sure what the split will be, but, uh, you know, I think Smith, obviously, like you said, is still the number one, but I think this could help him. I think this could help ease his workload if he has someone behind him who can push him um, and who can give him, you know, that odd night off and the Coyotes aren't losing, you know, necessarily a lot in net. So, um, 
leash. I'm not sure if it's a leash, but I think it's just finding the right mix, the right, you know, kind of the right pattern or setup to maximize the goaltending performance, getting both guys at their peak, um, but also knowing that Mike Smith is the guy. He has to play that way, and he is. You know, we're going to try to utilize him as best we can while also um, mixing in Louie, if Louie is, in fact, perhaps maybe the future for this season next. Speaking of Smith, is this his last chance to regain something close to what he was in 2011-2012? And if he does, which I'm sure is a problem the Coyotes would be more than happy to, to deal with, do the Coyotes still dangle him out to Las Vegas? And what is the impact of him not, maybe not getting claimed? Yeah, this is going to be telling. And I think we've set up every, you know, every year since 11-12. Can he duplicate? Can he revert back to the goaltender he was? But, you know, now there is someone like Demean behind him, which I don't think has necessarily been the case these last few years. There is someone who legitimately looks like he could be a starter in the NHL last season. So that's a new wrinkle. But, um, you know, I, I'm not sure if now will be the right time to transition away from Mike. Uh, you know, I think the performance this season will tell that. Um, if he is able to regain the form that he was, um, that he had in, in 11-12 and be this team's MVP, um, you know, you have him then for two more seasons after this. Maybe this is the time to ride this through and, and he can consistently be that, be that netminder that you signed, that you locked up to be. Uh, you know, I think a factor in all this that we can't overlook is the surgery that he had, the procedure that he had to repair that core muscle. Um, last season. I mean, this was an issue that had been bothering him for a long time. I'm not sure if it went all the way back to maybe when um, his play started to slip a little bit in his tenure with the Coyotes, but I don't think we can overlook the fact that he's healthy, poised to come into this season, you know, you know, reinvigorated like he hasn't been in a long time. And so he's had obviously a few games that he got in at the end of last season, but the rest, the training, um, you know, the strength training that he was able to put in this offseason to build that up um, to probably get it. And maybe perhaps, you know, the shape that he hasn't been in a long time, I don't think we can underscore that importance to see how he rebounds. So, to me, the jury is still out. I want to see how he plays this season and if he can be the goalie that this team um, hopes he can be that he has shown in the past. Why wouldn't you hold on to that piece for the duration of the contract or at least another season to see if he can continue to be, you know, a stable presence behind a lot of young players? Sarah, I wanted to ask you about Alex Goligoski and what he might bring on, on a number of levels. This was obviously their biggest move in free agency. They got it done even before the free agency period started. Um, but I am curious. They, they obviously identified a need for improvement on their blue line, but I wonder what impact he has on the defense what impact he has on Oliver ekman Larson, overall possession, and even Mike Smith. Your thoughts on that? I think it should be positive because, like you said, you know, looking at, um, you know, the metrics and the analytics, he seems to be such – they seem to paint him very flattering. Um, he seems to be, have such a positive impact that way as a possession driver, as someone who can maybe clean up messes in your own end. Um, so I think he should just have a positive impact on everyone around him, the person he plays with, um, obviously Oliver ekman Larson, who will you know, probably most likely um, in most situations be on a different pairing than him, but I, I think he eases up probably EL's workload. I think that um, you know, at times last season, I think Oliver tries to do a lot because he, I think he knows his role for this team. And you know, I, I think having someone else in there who is easily a top four defenseman in this NHL, 
I think that can only help him. I, I don't know if it'll change his attitude and his approach to his position, but I don't think um, the situation will, maybe will, won't wear as much on him, and he won't have to be out there, you know, in some games, what seems like every other shift, to just be the stopgap, to just, um, you know, try to turn the momentum for the Coyotes. I, I think his supporting staff is stronger, and I think that can enhance him and enable him to maybe tap into more of his strength and be, you know, a more consistent um, player 82 games out. Not that that necessarily is a knock on him, but I think it can only enhance him. And, and the same with Mike Smith. I think having someone back there who tends to, you know, possess the puck more often than not when he's on the ice with his team, I think that's a, a great asset to a goaltender. Um, you know, I know goalies like to feel the puck. They want, they want to be active, but I think having someone back there that you can trust to change the direction of play and be responsible with the puck can only help him. And I think we'll see probably in training camps the relationship that develops, how they read off each other, how they communicate, because we know Mike is local back there. He likes to get out of the crease and actually help start the rush the other way. So I'm interested to see how that develops, but I think he can only be an asset. Um, he's played, obviously, on some strong, strong teams in the past. Um, We'll see how he transitions to a team that's in a rebuild, but I, I think when you have that type of track record, it should only enhance the players around you. Uh, Sarah, you mentioned Oliver Ekman Larson. We obviously see him firsthand. He's starting to get more national recognition. He was in, in the top 35, I think, in uh, the Hockey News top 50 players. Uh, NHL Network did about the same. He's got, obviously going to play a major role for Sweden in the World Cup. What is he going to have to do? playing in this market to ever get consideration for the Norris Trophy? Does he just have to be perfect for 82 games? I, I think he has to have a really, really good season, but I think the Coyotes also have to have a really, really good season. I think you get national voters or voters' attention who don't watch the team, who maybe are East-based. Uh, I think you get their attention when the team does well, because I think that's probably the first kind of litmus test. Um, who's at the top of their division, who's in contention, who's winning on a regular basis. I think that grabs your attention probably as a voter who doesn't um, watch the team regularly. And then, well, who's the catalyst? Who's the star player? Who's the best player? Who's making this happen? So um, it, it may be, this may be stiff. This may be a tough, tough barometer. But, you know, I think for the Coyotes, that means making the playoffs or um, that's a given. I think making the playoffs is a given, but beyond that, I think maybe that's contending for the division title. I think it has to be something splashy. I think it has to be maybe 50 wins. Uh, I think it has to be something that really grabs you and separates them um, just beyond a team that makes the playoffs. I think that's, that's the minimum. But then what else do they do? Um, and along, you know, following that, you probably have other players in contention too to, to add more intrigue to your team. Is, is Tippett in the running for a Jack Adams? Is Mike Smith in Bethesda contention? Is one of the rookies, um, you know, maybe that debuts in Calder talk? So uh, he has, he tends to have, you know, an MVP type season for this team, you know, year in year out at least recently. But I think the team has to catch up to him. And I think that's kind of the push he needs to get that national recognition to be in, to be in contention for a Norris. There's this narrative floating around there that we want to just kind of get your thoughts on. So I'll just huh. present this We're information. We're not bringing this up again, are we? And, and uh, see what you have to say. Can Dave Tippett coach young players? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know where, where that comes from. I, I mean... I've covered Dave since his arrival here, like been around the team. 
um, help, you know, in some capacity covering the team since he arrived. And I, I don't know where that impression comes from. I, I think, of course, he can coach young players. And, and I think he coaches them um, in a way to make them have more longevity. I, and, I, and, I, and I don't know if that's always the case with coaches. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not behind the bench. I don't know all the strategies that go into it. But um, I, I think he tries to supply the tools that you need to be an effective player in this career, in this league for a long time, to have a lengthy career. And I say that because I, I think Dave sees the whole game. I think he sees 360 degrees of it. I don't think he just hones in on a player's assets and their strengths. I think he tries to build off that. And I'm going to go back to Max Domi as an example because here's a player that arrived last season who clearly um, you know, has an offensive tool set that made him appealing, made him a top pick in the draft, um, you know, made him someone that the Coyotes can probably you know, be a centerpiece of their offense for years to come. And I remember, you know, seeing him at the end of the year killing penalties. And um, I don't think that's a skill set that Max Domi needs to be, you know, an effective player in the NHL. But I think it's something that makes him more appealing, that, um, you know, makes him more valuable to a team. And if you're valuable, you have shelf life. You People want you. They need you on their team. And so here's a player that probably doesn't need to be killing penalties, but he's going to add that skill set in. And I think that's something that um, Dave focuses on. I think he helps young players find their identity but then enhance it. And I think if you can have as many responsibilities as you can, you're going to have longevity in this career, in, in this league for your career. So, um, you know, I mean, also I, I point to the fact that he was asked to be, you know, part of Team North America's coaching staff. <laughs> and that's a team that is comprised of, you know, the young up-and-coming stars in this game. Uh, Todd McCollin asked him um, to help coach these 23 years old and younger players. Um, and so I think that speaks to his approach. This is a short-term tournament. You have to devise a strategy to implement all these diverse talents quickly and effectively. And Dave's part of that brain trust. So I think his reputation, maybe amongst his peers, varies in maybe what his public perception is, maybe among fans or um, you know other people who watch hockey. But um, I think he definitely can, and I think he has a skill set for bringing out the best of these players and making them make themselves as valuable as they can to teams as they continue to grow in the league. Sarah, I'm going to ask you to look a little bit ahead here for us, but obviously Shane Doan is signed for one more year. I'm sure we'll go through all the will he come back again for another year or not next summer. But either way, at some point he's going to retire. He's been the captain of this team forever. In terms of young players or anybody that's on the roster that might be next in line to be the captain whenever Shane Doan does move on, do you have any leading candidates in, in your mind as to who they might be grooming? I think Oliver Ekman Larson um, is probably next up. You know, he's already an associate captain for this team. I think he's really embraced um, the leadership role and being a face for the team. I, you know, I, obviously when you think about the Coyotes, I think you think Shane Doan, obviously, number one. I think now you also think Dave Tippett um, in what he's done in, you know, the years that he's been here. But I think you also start to think Oliver Ekman Larson, too. I think he's starting to become, um, you know, associated with this team. Like you mentioned, he's on lists 
he's being ranked as among the best, and that, you know, with him, he carries the Coyotes' name. So I think he's next, and I think also, um, you know, why is because he just seems to want to have that type of role, too. I mean, he, if you remember when he arrived, um, you know, he was maybe shy, and it took time for him to maybe kind of find his place in the locker room and have a voice, but he has that voice now, and I think something, too, that, you know, maybe gets overlooked nowadays because everything um, is very public and now and social media, we just kind of expect everything to be visible and transparent, but he really embraces that role. He really is somewhat of an ambassador for the team. He's active. Um, you know, he takes selfies with fans before games at the bench. I mean, he, I don't think it's uh, a strain on his you know, resources or time to, you know, be out there in the community and to interact with fans. And that's obviously a big part of what Shane's done. So I think he's the next guy up, but I think moving forward, um, Max Domi is going to have a big stake in this leadership group as well. Um, I see him as someone else, too, who just embraces that, um, you know, can live in the spotlight, can deal with the pressure, the expectation, but who also is just uh, someone who seems to be a great ambassador for your brand. And so, um, you know, I think he's someone else who's probably in that group of, you know, going to be the face of the Coyotes, or one of them moving forward. Speaking of guys in leadership roles, um, you know, uh, talks continue with Martin Hansel on a possible extension, although John Chike has said it's unlikely it'll happen before the season. What do you see as his future with his organization, Sarah? And how is that tied in with a suddenly deep prospect of, of, of centers in their system? Well, I think a lot's going to depend on this season and how he performs and if he can stay healthy. If he can come back and be a durable presence, if he can have an impact, um, you know, why not? Why wouldn't you want to keep someone who can be like that, can be that asset, can be that X factor kind of for your group? Um, because we know he's, you know, when he's on his game, he's tough to play against. He's tough to corral, and he can definitely um, add a dynamic element to your offense. Um, I think he wants to say, I think he said that repeatedly, he would like to play here. Um, but I, I think it's going to depend on the Coyotes, and I think that's when it goes back to then, um, you know, is he who we think he can be? Can he be that player consistently? And so I think this season is going to be very telling for that. Um, you know, if he breaks down again and you know, injuries pop up and if he struggles to stay in the lineup, uh, I think the question then becomes, do they want to keep this player? Do they want to um, continue to carve out a top six center role for him? Um, but I think there's still value in that, and I think that's why this season's important. I think especially with the youth that's coming up the middle, um, you can't underscore the value in still having someone experienced and still having someone who has that size that you know these prospects don't currently have um so i think because of what he the positives that he presents i think it's definitely worth exploring how this season goes um and not just writing it off right now like he's for sure leaving or he's for sure staying i i think you have to see how this season goes to really decide whether or not you want him to be a future cog and then you know then you see if you can work something out but um, you know, I, I think Martin wants to stay here. I think he feels um, ownership in how this team does. And I'm not sure if that always gets across um, because he isn't one of the most vocal players. He isn't maybe one of the ones who is always in the spotlight. But I think you talk to him and you find out that he is one of the longest tenured members of the team. And I think he takes pride in that. And I think he wants to be a difference maker 
he enjoyed playing with these young players last season. I know he particularly liked playing with Anthony Duclair. So if he's someone who can um, kind of help usher in this transition and be a stable figure, um, you know, for this transition, then that's great. But you have to be able to obviously stay on the ice, be healthy, and have an impact. And if you can do that, that's great. If not, I think they probably evaluate where they are and it's time to make a change. We've talked about a lot of young players so far, but one name that hasn't come up is Tobias Reeder. Will he ever re-sign with the team? And what, <laughs> They could use a player like that, a, a full-ice player that plays on the penalty kill. They could use him, but is he ever going to make this work, or is this something that's just going to drag on until cooler heads prevail on one of the sides? Yeah, I mean, I think we all tend to think so. I think we all just expect it to get done and maybe because it's not at the last last minute yet it hasn't happened but this has gone on a long time I mean this has been almost the entire off season and then I think it becomes difficult to predict where two sides are at because they've already waited this long so um, yeah I mean like you said he offers so many positive qualities to the Coyotes um, you know he is I think you know someone who the coaching staff admires trusts um, you know, other players want to play with him. So uh, I think that he, you know, he's definitely, you know, a positive, positive addition to this lineup. I think they become better when you pencil him in. And obviously right now there's that question mark and you wonder how these lines will shake out and, you know, if he's going to be in that. But um, it, it, you would think so. I mean, you, you wouldn't think that this would last into the season and get to potentially to the point where he would become uneligible to play this season. I mean, you wouldn't think it would get that way, but it's September and we're still waiting. So I guess we just have to wait and see. But you would think that these two sides would be able to eventually, you know, come to a resolution. As long as we're talking about cap and salaries, et cetera, I had an interesting conversation with Bill Daly about the Coyotes nearly $18 million in cap space being locked up in players who aren't aren't playing and probably won't be playing for the Coyotes. The NHL doesn't seem to have a concern about this. We know that the Coyotes used it as a major asset this offseason. What is your thought? There are, there are people out there who think that this is a loophole that needs to be closed. What's your thought? Well, I mean, the way I look at it is I've always differentiated between salary cap and payroll or salaries. And the way I look at what the Coyotes did is, I mean, if you want to – feel good as a fan of what they're doing, um, that cap space that would have just sat there if they didn't do these type of moves in acquiring Jacob Chikrit and watching so They weren't going to um, spend budget-wise to become a cap team. They have their internal parameters, and that's what they were going to hold, you know, hold true to. And, you know, the cap can fall wherever they want, you know, within the limitations, but they have their own number that they want to spend to. So that was probably cap space that was just going to sit there. And they found a way, and John Chayka thought of a way to use that to add pieces. So in my mind, that's creative. Um, you know, that's, I think, you know, a way to use their situation to their advantage. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why they brought John aboard and gave him the GM post was to, to find ways to better this roster with the resources and tools they have. Um, you know, I know he said at one point there is no reward for, you know, going into the off season or, you know, finishing out a season with the most cap base. It's, it's, it just sits there. And then you restart. You restart every off season. So to be able to use that um, to acquire two pieces that they regard 
as you know potential staples of this lineup for years to come um why not try it i guess well you know why not but the hit that they take financially in terms of that salary that important number that matters so much is is nominal really compared to the cap hit that they take on um you know so i can see why they did it i can definitely see why they tried to explore this option it makes sense instead of using that you know cap space on players that you know maybe are aging or they're free agents and you don't know what to expect and how long they'll be there um they were able to acquire players and pieces that could be here for a long time that currently are you know very low on you know the salary demands that they you know push onto the team so i just look at the trade-off and that was cap space that was going to sit there and probably go untouched now they take on that to acquire pieces that could help them in the long run. So I think it's creative, and I think it makes a lot of sense why they tried that. Does it violate the spirit of the rule, though? I don't think so, because I think it actually helps both sides. I mean, I don't think one side is at more of an advantage than the other. I mean, obviously, I mean, look at the Florida deal. They got a great prospect in Lawson Coast that Florida had to part with, but Florida got the cap flexibility that they desperately wanted so yeah there is I guess at some point a trade-off but it's it's benefiting both sides right now Detroit got the flexibility that they needed to start their offseason maneuvering by getting rid of Pavel Datsu's cap hit so um you know right now I, I think it's maybe just something you know not a lot of teams have maybe thought of or put into execution before and something new so it's going to catch attention and people are going to dissect it and talk about it but it's benefiting both sides. And right now, I don't see how that's violating, um, you know, any part of, you know, any part of the CBA because they are acquiring, you know, technically the player. That player can't play, is injured, is playing elsewhere. I mean, that's kind of beyond their control. But, um, you know, I, I think it's just them looking outside the box. And I think that was probably a theme that they wanted to somewhat headline their offseason. We're going to be creative. We're going to be innovative and we're going to look for different ways to improve our roster that maybe we haven't explored in the past. Sarah, my last one for you. This is four years now without a playoff spot. They're obviously trending in the right direction, uh, but there's also other teams around them that missed the playoffs last year, like Calgary, trending in the right direction. Those top eight spots are going to be tough to crack into because somebody's going to have to drop out. Uh, In your mind, what is a successful 2016-17 season for the Coyotes? You know what? I think you have to go off of the standards that somewhat been set this off even by their maneuvering. They weren't idle. They wanted to be active. They wanted to be aggressive, obviously, and make changes. Um, you know, you look kind of just on top ten lists or um, the reviews they're getting so far, and, and I know Kevin Allen at USA Today recently ranked them as one of the top teams that had one of the best off-seasons, so um, they made a splash. They made change. They went out and got Alex Fulagasi. They signed Jamie McGinn. Um, they added depth pieces, but they also, you know, made some moves that could help them in the long run, too. So um, I think that speaks to their desire to um, fast-track this rebuild, get into the playoffs, and we'll see what happens. So if that's the case, I think a playoff worth is a successful year. Um, you know, you flash, you know, I guess you rewind to a year prior, and I think they were a little bit more conservative in what they did and how they were embarking on this rebuild held some spots for some young guys, but they weren't very, very flashy in their off-season pursuit, and so I think what followed was expectations that mirrored that. Um, they improved. They didn't make the playoffs, but they were more competitive for longer in the season, 
and you know their young players got you know important experience and improved. So yeah, last year was probably a success. But now, keeping in mind that they were active, they have made it you know publicly known that we want to contend for a playoff spot. We want to be in the mix. We want to be better than we were. Then I think expectations follow suit, and now it's you have to be a playoff team then if you want to be successful because I think having done all this and falling short um, I think it'll be disappointing considering all the time and effort they've put into these revisions um, will it still be progress in terms of the rebuild for sure if they're still competitive in March if they're still in, the, in a race in March it's, it definitely is a step um, forward off of what they did last year but is it successful um, you know maybe considering what they did this offseason, I would tend to think no. Sarah McClellan of AZ Central. You can follow her on Twitter at AZC underscore McClellan. You should be following her on Twitter. Sarah, great stuff. Thanks for the time. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, Sarah, terrific insights. Really appreciate you doing this. No problem. So good stuff, as always, from Sarah McClellan of, uh, of AZ Central. She's dialed in to the Coyotes. It's, it's interesting talking to somebody like that, and the three of us were talking before uh, we went on the air that <laughs> – we know a lot about the Coyotes, obviously. That's just that's our our, uh, our job. We're around the team constantly. At least we pretend we do. We do. Well, and Jamie pretends he does. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but then you talk to somebody like Sarah, and she can still come up with new angles and mm-hmm. new insights that you know even we haven't uh, haven't thought of because she's around the team all the time as well. So it's that's an interesting discussion. There's a lot of things in there she said that maybe I hadn't quite thought of yet, and so that was that was kind of it was insightful. Certainly, I mean, if you follow the Coyotes and a lot of our listeners here do, then. Hopefully you've listened to this point in the podcast. Uh, but even if you don't, I think she has good insight on some of these young players because th- to a certain extent, if you're just a fan of the league, I would think at, at this point the Coyotes are getting to the point where they're a team you want to pay attention to just because of all those prospects and Oliver ekman Larson. So if you're just a fan of the NHL, you have to be aware of this group because they're one of the top two or three prospect pools in the league. Yeah, let's 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 dive a little bit more into some of those some of those things that we discussed, and I, I know we've we've talked about these things in the past, but looking at this prospect pool, you know, we, we, we throw out the names of Dylan Strom and, and Christian Dvorak as two very strong possibilities, and I agree with Sarah that I think Dvorak is more a fit in that bottom six if he makes the roster, but I also think there's the possibility they might look at him and say, you know, you might you might do well with some seasoning in the AHL, and they've got a couple guys in Laurent Dauphin and Tyler Gaudet who could fill that role as well. Maybe not for an entire season. Maybe you feel like he needs a little bit of work in the AHL before you bring him up. So we'll see how that goes. It's nice to have options. But the other thing that she, she talked about with, with Martin Hansel, I, I completely agree with the need for veterans in a lineup. If you've, if you've got four young centers throughout your lineup, it's probably not a good situation. But on the other hand, if, if a guy like Ryan McInnes continues to progress the way he's progressing, there's your guy with size. There's your guy who can fill Martin Hansel's role. Yeah. And how long do you want to block his path? In other words, you can always trade a guy like Martin Hansel, of course. But how long do you want to block his path if you sign Hansel to a, a multi-year extension if you feel like that guy is going to be the next guy to... Again, it's a nice problem to have. Well, right? yeah, Hansel's one of the, the, the bigger wild cards, I think, on this team because he is only signed for this year, and he signed at a really good price. So if you feel like you're contending for a playoff spot right now, and I'm sure they'll wait for a while and, and see how this uh, the early part of the season plays out, if you feel like you're contending for a playoff spot right now, then you need him. But, you know, as we've discussed in the past on this show, are you going to get 80 games out of him? That yeah. You need, you really need 75 to 80 games out of, out of Marty to be able to, to get the full effectiveness. And then the flip side is, 
if if he's not in your long-term plans, you need to get something for him because he's too valuable to just let him walk. And so that's the fine line that this team is going to walk this season of, are we going to resign him long-term and just make him a part of this future as well? He's not that old. Or if you're going to move him, are you going to move him before the trade deadline? And, you know, what do you get back at that point? Are you getting back a right-handed defenseman that can still help you push for the playoffs this year? Or, you know, how many more prospects can you add at a certain point? They could field a whole second team just of prospects. So, And that's a fair point. That's something that needs to be considered going forward. How long are you content continually adding young players that are a part of your future? When when does it become time to, to add NHL players? And as I said, you know, I think John Chica was trying to add that right-handed defenseman. It's no secret some of the names that have been thrown out there. Kevin Shattenkirk, I think, is a guy that they are very interested. And I still believe Kevin Shattenkirk is going to be traded at some point this season, if not right now. It only makes sense for St. Louis when you look at who they have to re-sign next summer. Well, and you look at their right side, too. They're set. I mean, do you you want to be paying that guy when you've got got Petrangelo and and Colton Pareko are there already? You're going to have to pay Pareko next summer, too. Yeah, absolutely. So it makes sense to move him, you know, so they, they probably stay in the mix there. But with Martin Hansel, something you brought up earlier, you know, if you can get him to play 78, 80 games, to me, when I'm looking at Martin Hansel's history, I say, you're not going to get that many games from him. He's not going to be on the ice that many games. Now, a cynic could say, well, it's a contract year, so, you know, Marty might play 75, 78 games this year. But his history says he's going to miss 16, 18, maybe even 20 games in the season. So... That has to be a part of your evaluation going forward, knowing he's not going to be in your lineup for one-fifth to one-quarter of the season's games. And obviously they know that. So then it just it becomes interesting if we get to the point where they are negotiating a longer-term deal. He's going to look and say, well, look how effective I am in those 60 to 65 games a year. I, I, and it's, it's not that hard to see how effective he is. Just look at their win-loss record when he's not in the lineup. Uh, as opposed to when he is in the lineup. But the flip side, the Coyotes are going to come back if he doesn't play 80 again this year, and they're going to say, well... Yeah, you think you're worth X amount of dollars, which I actually think is how uh, John Chica talks. He just throws out variables like that. <laughs> we think you're worth four fifths of X amount of I think dollars. He uses more complex terms. Just make we it don't algebra. understand. Yeah, yeah, that's true. The agents probably bring dictionaries. They definitely yeah, use hang on, square hang on roots. One yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's just it's an interesting storyline to follow because there aren't a lot of players like him. There's none on this roster right now that can be a physical presence defensively as a center. But also, much like Doan did last year, he can get right in front of the net and either redirect or screen the goalie or just bang in rebounds. So, yes, when he's there, he's very valuable, especially for what they're paying him right now. Yeah, and then, the, again, it always comes down to money, and he's going to ask for more money in this next contract, so you have to assess that. But I, I want to get at something. Marty Hansel is valuable in a lot of – he plays in all situations. He's that net presence. He, 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 takes, he creates space in the offensive zone is what he does because he goes to the net – and you have to honor his presence, so it pulls some of the defense and opens up space for, when he was here, Ridian Verbata to slide into those open spaces, shoot and score when Ray Whitney's getting him the puck. On the flip side, when you want to talk about production, he does impact those other areas. Marty Hansel had a career high in points last year, and it was 41 points. Yeah, That's not a lot of points for a top six center. No, I mean, we, it's not. We talk about Michael Stone last year having a career high in points, and he's for the most part, a defensive defenseman. He's got that booming shot, and that that obviously sets things up. So maybe he's not a true stay-at-home defenseman, but you don't think of him as a point producer, and yet Michael Stone was four or five points behind Marty last year. So that that is a fair argument, and I'm sure that would be brought up uh, in contract negotiations You remember the torrid start he got off to last year, too. I mean, for a while, it looked like he was going to have a career year, and then he just tapered off. And when he's on, they win games. I yes. mean, it, and it almost doesn't even matter who they're playing. It's it's one of the strangest things. When, when Hansel's on and, and he's productive – 
they win most nights. It's just, you know, that's the trade-off with him. And, and certainly he's a big physical presence out there, which helps the team, but it has also kind of put some wear and tear on his body over the years too. And to go back to your point, Luke, when you discussed you can't let a guy like Martin Hanza walk for free if you decide he's not going to be part of your future, a lot of that's going to be decided by how far along the Coyotes actually are in this process by the time you get near the trade deadline. And we're going to see if can they avoid, depending on where they are in the standings, can they avoid the temptation to go out and move those assets at this juncture of their rebuild to try to make the playoffs this year versus to try to acquire more assets down the line. And I know you do get to a point where you say, well, eventually you have to have NHL players, but I think the Coyotes are doing a lot like what NFL teams do with draft picks. They're stockpiling prospects because they're going to move bundles of those prospects for NHL-level talent when it becomes appropriate to add those players to the mix. And along those lines, I mean, Craig, I know you asked her about the, uh, the, the trading for cap hits, basically, but also getting prospects back in the deal. And, you know, she said basically what we said, what was that, last week or two weeks ago, both teams are benefiting yes. from it. So, And I do think that's the distinction to draw. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not anything wrong with it, but when two teams are benefiting, it's going to either anger the other, uh, other 28 teams or at least they're going to take notice of it. Or what I think is going to happen, we're going to see other teams doing this too. I don't know why teams weren't doing it more uh, consistently before this because I thought the greatest point she made was the Coyotes weren't going to spend that cap money necessarily. They weren't going to spend to the cap. But Chaika and this front office have found a way to still make the most of that cap space. And so if you're not a, a huge market team, this isn't Toronto or New York, you can't just throw $10 million at Rick Nash, and if he struggles, then all right, we'll just buy him out and, and pay somebody else. The Coyotes are still using that uh, that cap space, and I have to think other teams are going to start doing this. Sure, and, and other teams that are in bad cap situations are, are going to start looking at those teams and saying, hey, can can we talk a deal? I, I got to believe Stan Bowman is looking at this thinking, hmm, that might be something I need to think about next offseason. Yeah. <laughs> and in my thought process is there's no way this is any worse than the league just handing out compliance buyouts. Yeah. Yeah, that's this, fair. This is creative. I, I stunned anybody had an issue with this, honestly. When, I, when, it, when trades like that go down, I just think that they are creative. And it's the best way to maximize what you are – what you are given to work with. I think people a lot of times just look at this at, at face value and say, well, that's not right. They've got $18 million tied up, and, and the guys aren't even playing for them. So, and, the, and the argument stops there, but there's a lot more nuance to it than specifically what we've said. Both teams are benefiting from this situation. I mean, you look at, obviously, Detroit was able to make some signs. They signed Franz Nielsen. They didn't get the guy that they really wanted in the offseason in Steven Samkos, but they added to their roster you know, questionable moves, as we've discussed. Well, we, we talked about drugs, but whether those were the right moves. Detroit. But <laughs> but then Florida also freeing up Dable. They ordered, they just signed Jonathan Huberdeau to a, a yep. contract extension. They've got more work to do. This has enabled them to do it. So I don't know. Both teams benefiting. I don't I don't see an issue with it. And and as Bill Daly told me a week ago, neither does the NHL. Yeah, I, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Uh, something else that we talked to Sarah about that I kind of wanted to elaborate on a little bit, just in terms of, Shane Doan, we know we got him this year. Who knows? Maybe we have him for another year. I mean, if he plays this year the way he did last year, who knows? But eventually, he's going to retire, and the Coyotes have... Fans in Arizona don't know what it's like to have this team without Shane Doan. So I do think it's it's something to watch of, of who's being groomed to be the next captain of this team. And, and certainly, we've discussed this on this podcast before, you bring in these young guys like Max Domi and Anthony Duclair, and you guys know this from interviewing them, too. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I interviewed Duclair last year, and without being prompted, he just brought up Shane Doan and how much he likes playing alongside him. I was going to tell his kids someday he played with Shane Doan. These young guys look up to him, and so 
it's going to be different whenever he ultimately retires. But at the same time, when Oliver Ekman Larson was a young guy, first breaking into this league, I mean, he's still young, but when he was first breaking in, he looked up to Shane that way as well, and maybe he is the next in line. Yeah, I, I think everybody that you talk to around that organization believes that he's the one being groomed for that position. What what becomes equally interesting to me is who fills those other roles? Because you, you, you don't really want a situation where you have three really young guys as your leadership. You probably want a balance. You probably want a veteran voice in that as well. And if Marty, Marty's not here next year and Shane is retired and Antoine Vermette's already gone, well, then you've got to start identifying some other veterans that might fill that role. Who knows? Maybe a guy like Alex Goligoski turns out to be such a good fit that they, they throw an A at him. And that'd be great. See how that plays out. Because I, I think the other name she brought up is one we all agree is at least going to be wearing an A at some point in yeah. Max Domi. And I think, honestly, on a lot of teams, he would eventually be the captain, really. Guy just, he's a guy who just gets it on all levels. Yeah. And it's certainly, you know, a lot of these guys have fathers who have NHL pedigree, but... Max just seems to be on another level as far as that's concerned. He understands the process, all the ins and outs of, of the NHL process. It's amazing. You, you talk to Max, and it, it feels like he played his dad's entire career, too. It's not just <laughs> yeah. that he grew up around his dad playing. And, and, you know, I remember one of the first times I ever talked to him, and he said this certainly since, too, that it, his dad wasn't his favorite player that he looked up to. He was hanging out with Mario Lemieux and Matt Sundin. I mean, that's that's a pretty good uh, leadership group, group to look up to as well. And yet you can see influences of his dad's game uh, in his game as well. So that's why he's such a well-rounded player and certainly why uh, he already, even at this young age, does seem like a future leader. So, What do you guys make of the, the idea? What do you make of the line combinations? I'm, I know we talked about this once already, but I'm, I'm curious. Sarah said something interesting about Verbata maybe not having to fill as big a role, but I have a hard time envisioning him on the bottom two lines. Either one of those lines, certainly not on the fourth line. I, I just can't see that knowing what the strength of his game is and, and how he struggled last year in Vancouver with, with bad usage, in my opinion. I just I, I think he's got to play with Marty Hansel or he's got to play with, with Dylan Strome. Yeah, one of the young centers in the second line. I, I can't see a spot for him in the bottom six. We, we talked a little about the third line that we liked with McGinn and Richardson and Doan and what that line can bring. And that they can hit heavy. They can still put the puck in the back of the net. You have two guys that can score 20-plus goals on each wing. Richardson played very well last year. I think he has to play in the top six role. I don't think Verbata's skill set pretty much ever, but particularly right now, fits a bottom six role. I think you want him out there and with opportunities to score and with players that can get him the puck and not necessarily to, to grind it out with the, the bottom sixes of other teams. Yeah, yeah. it's funny too. Uh, people talk about Verbata's age now. And a year ago, he was coming off a 31-goal season and nobody was talking about yeah. his age. So. In a year, suddenly he's gone from being a 30-goal scorer to grandpa on the ice. Well, that year in Vancouver will it, age you. Yeah, well, it certainly was, especially the way they used him and the, the curious decisions that uh, Desjardins made. But I don't think you you're, you're uh, you suddenly drop off a cliff in one year. I, I think that's too extreme an assessment of who Redeem Verbata is as a player. I do think it comes back to usage, and I... I don't think it's unrealistic to expect 20 goals from this no, guy this year. I don't either. I mean, what Sarah said about 20 to 25, I think that's something we've all kind of brought up when they when they first uh, re-signed him. I, I, it, just, it really goes back to maximizing the value of what you have. I'm trying to think of some analogy that's going to be brilliant that you guys are both going to just look at me like I'm crazy. But it would be like buying a computer and using it as a door wedge to put him on the fourth line. I mean, you want to you want to – not exploit, Jamie's but you want to give you that look right now. I know, but yeah. there's a camera there's set a camera up, in the way, so, so I can't see yeah. it. And I didn't look at Jamie for a reason when I made that analogy. I've never um, seen Jamie's mouth in that shape before. So well, it's, 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 it's I'm, just, very I'm just trying to think about where, where we can go with that. Disapproving, <laughs> as always, Jamie Eisner. 
you you brought in Redding Prabata to score goals. I'm not saying yeah. he's never going to play on the third line at all. I mean, Dave Tippett likes to move his guys around, but I have to think that he's going to start with with Martin Hansel. Max Domi makes the most sense. Or if he doesn't start there, then he's on the other top two line, and he, he's here to score goals. That's that's why he's a, an Arizona Coyote. If he's if he's with Strom. Who's on the left side of that? You, you Again, you need a guy who creates space. So maybe it's a guy like McGinn who fits on that line. Yeah, there's a lot of for versatility. For that reason, yeah. Because McGinn it's more so than a, play top six. I don't think a Toby Reader, if he, if he re-signs, is, is a good fit in that no, situation. No, Toby Reader probably fits better with Richardson and Dome yeah. in, that, in that role. Yeah. When, well, if, when, maybe he signs. We saw Jordan Martinook in that role, too, with Richardson and Dome, mm-hmm. and that was fine. I think they'd be fine playing that as their third line. Martinook's another guy who plays that hard style, yeah. I, I think that's so, another also really good point, is that they have young guys you. that can play all different types of games they're not just looking for young guys to score and then we're going to fill out with two two million dollar veterans in the bottom six to find those guys they have young players that can play penalty kill roles fourth line roles and still be competent enough offensively and with the puck that if the puck's in their hands it's not going to be a train wreck i'm getting nervous about reader for reader because you start you know as you talk about these lines yes martin can play up and down the lineup mcginn can play up and down the lineup You've you've got moving pieces that yeah, this Domi, of course, and we're we're talking about Brendan Perlini. We're talking yeah. about Lawson Kraus. That that's a logjam on the left there side. And, they, and if Perlini didn't get hurt, this is a whole different conversation. I think he's right in that discussion true. with Dvorak yeah. and Strom. I know with different positions, but he's yeah. right in that conversation. And he, he can be hurt. sent down and called up at any point this season too. Mm-hmm. I, the the point just being that the Coyotes do have these versatile young players that not a lot of teams have have young guys with that much versatility. Yes, they need Tobias Reeder because he's another player like that. He's already shown he can do it consistently at the NHL level. But I think he needs them more than they need him at this point. I wouldn't argue with that. Okay. Uh, again, I'm perplexed that it's gone as far as it has. And you know, knowing that the last time I checked in, he's looking for a two-year deal at an average of 2.7 AAV. That's not far off what the Coyotes are offering and what the Coyotes have oddly available under the cap right now, which is about 2.3. So... You can't close that gap. I gotta believe that they're gonna close that gap at some point soon, and then that left wing position really becomes interesting. One thing we did not talk about with Sarah, and maybe it was wise not to talk about this because we're all probably sick of talking about it, is the arena situation. Yeah. Oh boy, good. You have Which, an update for us, Craig? No, I have no updates okay, for you. Okay. But I do have. Uh, <laughs> we're here from the this is my soft segue to the Lipinski list because without any arena announcement to date, you know the trolls are coming yeah. out again as soon as the season starts. They're coming out. So which city, which city will Trolls tab as the Coyotes' next relocation destination? Singapore. I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's, starting with Singapore. Okay. Singapore. I'm going to say Oxnard, Mississippi, because uh, Old Miss's season is already over, so they need a new sport to play. You guys are really out there. Wow. Well, you okay. asked us to think like Trolls. It doesn't Chad, need to be any is logic. Like, is Chad Kelly like a right wing? Where would Chad Kelly play? Well, I mean, everybody on this is going to be sanctioned here soon, so they are going to need a hockey team in okay. town. Can we agree that Seattle and Quebec will be at the top of the list? Yeah. Again. You know what, though? Yeah. i got to say this. I don't maybe – maybe I've just blocked these people out. I don't feel like fans in Seattle are trolling the Coyotes no. about you know moving. What? Of fact, all their the fan bases I dealt with, have. they've been the best. Yes. They've been the, the ones – forgive me, but Winnipeg and Quebec, those fan bases were awful. They were just awful. They were nasty. They yeah. were foul. And two cities who watched a team get taken from them. So maybe that's very, why very, they're very, in that very little empathy. Although Seattle lost its NBA team. Well, and that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Seattle let, let – I mean, this, they didn't let the Sonics go. Don't even get me started on that. We need another three hours. The there Sonics we were stolen from them. But 
I think there is a certain element of, A, they want a basketball team, not a hockey team in Seattle. Let's just call it the way it is. Uh, and, and B, they know the pain of having a team taken away from them. So I think that's why they've been remarkably respectful. And maybe, maybe I shouldn't be surprised by it, but you're right. When you compare it to fan bases in a couple other cities, it's been refreshing how Seattle's dealt with it. And I think ultimately yeah. Seattle will get Shout an Shout out to Seattle. Yeah, yes. that's right. Friends Stay of the podcast, classy, Seattle. Seattle. Thank you. Thank yep. you. Stay we, classy. we appreciate you, Seattle. Who else is on that list? All right, here's my top five. You guys don't want clearly you don't want to participate in this in Singapore. Hey, Singapore is the Oxnard so, yeah. of the East. I, I was going to say they're going to they're going to build it inside uh, Trump's border wall. Gonna have a wow, oh boy, second team in Vegas. Is that what we're going to hear? <laughs> second team in Vegas. Uh, yeah. Second team in Chicago. Yeah, Why not? Boy. Here we go. Uh, so they can borrow some Portland, space. Kansas City, Houston, all the usual suspects will all come yeah. up again. All possibilities. I th- just, it's, it just feels different this time around, doesn't it? There's well, you really would not think clear... you would think at some point when people keep saying it and it doesn't happen that at some point they might look in the mirror and say, you know, I feel kind of stupid Maybe. for saying this. Some people don't feel stupid. I, I mean, some people yeah, don't have that emotion. According to the New York Post, the Coyotes are supposed to be starting play in Las Vegas this season, I believe. Well, to be fair, they will play one of one many or two yeah. tragic yeah. errors in, in that yeah. story. Next year, they'll play a game there. They'll just still true. be the Arizona Coyotes. Maybe that's what Maybe, the yeah, they were right all along. They were on oh. the money. Yeah. Okay. How dare you question the post, Craig? Who I believe misquoted Bill Daly in regards to a Coyotes draft hey, pick. No too. big deal. Just misquote the deputy commissioner of the league. What does he know about the NHL? Yeah. You might you might want to use a recorder. Just the thought. <laughs> yeah, what are those? Uh, do we have anything else on the Coyotes? Do we really want to end on arena talk with the Coyotes? No, I, th- I think we should end with Craig doing a Dave Vest impression because I believe aside from Dave and Jerry, <laughs> we've talked to every yeah, Coyote. See, with Dave, Dave Vest Im- impersonations are mostly visual. Yeah, that's For instance, true. I could do his Mick Jagger impersonation, but no one would see it. We'd if, see it. If we had all this fancy equipment hooked up and you were actually recording me, I could do Dave Vest, Mick Jagger Who's impersonation. Who's to say we're not? Right so we have can. you seen it yet? No, I haven't. You he, haven't seen he's it. Just, he, like I said, he's lording oh. it over everybody in the press box. It's, it's rich. It's the one it's, little piece of power Dave has, and he doesn't want to let it it's go. It's very good. Am I the only one who has seen this? Yeah, probably. I think so. Maybe okay. you imagined it. All right. uh, how about just closing thoughts on, you know, we asked Sarah what a successful season is for this team. What do you guys think it is? Again, with you know, we've talked in the past. You've got eight teams that made the playoffs last year, and the only two that really took any sort of step back are St. Louis, who took a significant step back, but they were way up there. And I think L.A. took a little bit of a step back, too, but they get the benefit of the doubt because they win the Stanley Cup every couple years. They get it for at least one more year. So to get into the playoffs, somebody else is going to have to slip up as well as the Coyotes are going to have to play you know, really good hockey. Basically the way they did the first month or two last season for a whole year. Where they are in this stage, I'm looking more on an individual level. For a team level, I think they just want to be competitive in the conversation. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team this year, although after last year, don't ask me to make Coyotes. Yeah, don't you owe me something? Yeah, you've, I've been waiting. You haven't asked. You haven't told me what I lost yet. Huh. I'm going to hold this over you for a couple of years, too. Okay, like your like your other Chicago Blackhawks bet. I tried to pay that off. Tr- tr- tried to pay repeatedly. That off. Actually, tried to pay that off. That I'll, I'll ask How about you tried to pay that off? But do you guys gotta work work this out off? Maybe off mine. Maybe. I'm okay. sorry, Greg. Are we cutting into your day? I'm gonna mediate when we leave here. Okay. <laughs> I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year, but I want to see, like Sarah talked about with Duclair and Domi, you don't want to see those guys take a step back. And I think you want to look at how those guys perform in year two, both in point production and what their role is. Do they fit more? Do they grow more their game? Is Are they more all around? Do they avoid those prolonged slumps? That's what I want to see. I also want to see how the young players fit in, whether does Stroh make the roster. If he doesn't, 
Does Dvorak make the roster right away, or does he come up at some point? There's going to be a lot of fluctuation between Tucson and Phoenix this year. How do those guys perform? And I think if those guys all play well and show improvement and the team is competitive, I think that's all you can ask for. Yeah, I'm kind of along the same lines. I don't think the playoffs are out of question, but I think the bigger picture with this team is taking the next step, playing meaningful games in March and early April, uh, even if it is, even if you know if you miss the playoffs by three or four points, and that's obviously painful in the moment. You go into next season, especially if guys like Strom or maybe Perlini over the course of the year, whether it's in Tucson or you know up in Phoenix or both, you know maybe plays time with with uh, with Tucson and Arizona. Just individual players evolving, and then as a team, which is going to be a young team no matter what, you've played meaningful games in March and April. Like I said, I don't think the playoffs are out of reach by any means, but certainly if you go into next season as a team that's kind of on everybody's radar and there's not going to be any surprises for this group when they're fighting for a playoff spot a year from now. Should I just say ditto? Sure, why not? I'm, I'm of the same mind. I, mean, I don't think this is quite a playoff team, especially when you, when you look up front. I think there are too many of their key pieces that are just too young. Too many question marks. But about it's tough though because we have that much upside. It is tough to evaluate. I mean, it, it is. could surprise it is. everybody. It's like Team North America, right? I have yeah. no idea what to expect from that team. But uh, with, with the Coyotes, I mean, I, I like the left side of their blue line. I still think they could add a right-handed defenseman for for their top four and really solidify their blue line. Maybe they'll do that at some point. But with the forwards they have right now and with how they project these guys and the holes they want to fill, I just think that we're too early in. The learning curve, or too, too, yeah, too, too early on that learning curve for them to. It's a bad metaphor, wasn't it? Oh, it was awful. I wasn't going to say anything. Yeah, um, I, I just think they're probably a year away from seriously contending. But again, like, like Jamie said, if they can be playing meaningful games, if they can stay in the hunt late in the season, and get people excited about what this team is doing, not only this season, but the, again, the future, the immediate future. Now, not, not always pointing, oh, three, four years down the road. Yeah. You know, I know it's that's close. That's the window they they say for when they want to be contending for a cup, but let's get to the playoffs first. And if you can see it, you know, within sight, finally, that's great. I think two intangibles I'll throw out there. If they are fighting for a playoff spot in March and April, A, you know, even if they're the underdogs, if it's a five-team race for two spots or whatever, A, you've got Dave Tippett, whose track record when he's, when he's in contention late in the season is pretty good at getting his team into the playoffs. And B, you are going to have that factor of this is potentially Shane Doan's final year. Obviously, he's going to be going all out to get into the playoffs, but also these younger guys around him might find a, an extra gear for those final you know, 10, 15 games if they're right there and there is that sort of sentiment of let's, let's get into the playoffs for the captain win, one win, last time. Win one for the donor? Yes, win one for the donor. That's, that's the campaign? That's the hashtag? Trademark. The donor. Win one for the donor? Sounds, sounds way too close to something else. <laughs> Anyway, That's a, so John, someone, John I think, Hughes I think, movie, sorry. I think young players playing in games that truly matter in high-pressure situations is always a good thing, even if yes. they lose them. Yes. And it, some it, of these guys important. have. I mean, not at the NHL level, but Domi and Duclair played meaningful games for Canada in the World but Junior it, Championships, which I know it's juniors, but it's also Canada. So it's basically don't come home if you don't win the gold. And they were obviously a big part of winning the gold. So some of these guys have more experience in pressure situations than maybe you think at first glance. All right, we're going to wrap it up. This was episode 50. I like Is the 50, is that the golden anniversary, silver anniversary? It's what is the golden it? anniversary. We could have called it the Antoine Vermette. We still can. We're still recording. We're still paying him. <laughs> Excellent point. All right. For Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.